0: your time and have a seat whenever you're whenever you're done. Great job to you all for making it to the 10 o'clock service an hour early this morning. I see some of our 830 people here though. Like I'm not doing this. It's snowing out. If you've never met me before, my name is Joe, and I get to serve as one of our pastors here. And uh, I've got a few announcements before you before we get into today's message. Uh, the first one is this: uh, Ladies, we have the Renewed Women Gathering coming up this Tuesday at our Sandusky campus from 6 to 7:30. We're going to be talking about confidence, so you get to hear from Mary Manuela, who is on our staff. And also a couple of testimonies from some from two women who have found freedom in letting go of some of their some of their hiddenness. So really excited about this. I know it's a huge event. Um, happens once a month, and no need to register unless you'd like childcare. So you can just show up. Um, so again, that's Tuesday, this Tuesday, six to seven thirty at our Sandusky campus. And all of the information from all of these announcements is also in your worship program this morning. The next one, this is great. Uh, So this is a save the date coming up May 1st, which is a Monday. We're gonna be having a calm parenting seminar. And unless you've got it all together as a parent, uh, maybe you do, I don't know. Uh, I think anybody could benefit from this because you're gonna learn 15 practical strategies to, okay, so stop the tantrums, whining, and meltdowns. Is that the parents or the kids? (laughs) Maybe a little bit of both, I don't know. Um, Get your kids to listen without repeating yourself That needs the Holy Spirit right there to make that happen. Stop power struggles, improve focus and behavior issues. Man, this is going to be huge. So we're going to be giving more information the next few weeks, but you might want to just block off that evening um, for this if you'd like to be a part of that. Uh, And yeah, we'll have more information coming up in the next few weeks. And then last announcement, we are partnering with a new ministry, new ministry partners in the Basque Country, which is in northern Spain. And tonight we have a special event where you get to hear about this, but uh, Pastor Jay has more information about it. So would you do me a favor and turn your attention to the screens?
1: Hey there, Chapel family, Pastor Jay here. I'm so glad to be part of a church that takes the love of God and the message of Christ outside our walls to our community, but also to the world. And maybe you know, for some time, we've had uh, significant uh, ministries, a footprint in Mexico and in India and Burundi, Africa. But also, we've wanted to have a ministry partner in Europe. In northern Spain, there is a region called Basque Country, and there's about 2.5 million people there. Out of that 2.5 million, get this, .02 percent understand what it means to have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. You think, how can that be? Hasn't the gospel been there for a long time? It is what's called a post-Christian environment. There are churches there, but they're empty. And so we have partnered with Send International. Now we've been a partner with them for a long time, but we're so excited to be there in Basque Country and partnering with specific missionaries by the name of Mario and Paola Iglesias. And they are actually with us this weekend. My wife and I are hosting them and their two uh, children. And we're so excited to be their friends and to be partnered with them in ministry. And we want you to meet them, to understand what it's like to do missions in a place like Europe, in a post-Christian environment, Basque country. So here's the invitation. If you're watching this on Sunday, it's this evening uh, on the 12th, 5.30 p.m. at the Sandusky campus in room C2. We're gonna have pizza and you're gonna hear from Mario and Paola 5.30 p.m. to 6.45 p.m. Come and ask questions and hear what it's like to be a missionary in a place like northern Spain. We'll see you there.
0: Yeah, so we got to go to an event last night and meet the Iglesias family, and we just had a great time getting to hear some of their stories. It was kind of funny because they had their two kids there, and it was my wife and my youngest son, Mac, and myself, and Mac speaks about zero English, or Spanish, and their kids speak about zero English, but they still figured out a way to play the Nintendo Switch together. It was really cool. Uh, Play is the universal language of kids, that's for sure. We got to hear some really interesting stuff. They were telling us that if you were to walk around this Basque area where they are, and you were to give somebody a pamphlet or a tract about Jesus, they would throw it back in your face. They don't want to hear anything about it. Uh, They have worked so hard to build relational equity with people in order to even start to mention the name of Jesus to them as well, too. They don't even call themselves Christian in the, com- in the country because that word Christian has such a negative connotation to the Basque people. But you get to hear their story and ask them some questions and eat some pizza tonight at our Sandusky campus uh, from 530 to 645. Uh, we had such a great time hearing their story last night. I highly recommend um, that you go and be a part of this. It's a great opportunity to, to see where the church is heading to this specific region in Spain as well so this morning though we are going to continue in our series that we started a few weeks ago about the armor of God and I want to start start the morning with this question it's this have you ever been deceived all right I'm not talking about just like lied to I mean deceived uh maybe this has happened to you have you ever gotten a let me ask you this first if you get a call on your phone and you don't know the number, how many of you don't even answer it, right? Yeah, so many robocalls, so many scams, uh, and we thought robots were gonna take over the world one day. We didn't know it was gonna be through our phones. I get these calls sometime where they call and what do you know, it's the IRS. And uh, man, apparently I didn't pay my taxes in like 2005, and they are, they are standing by ready to arrest me if I don't, if I don't pay this, right? Now, obviously, I don't want to be arrested, and they're like, yeah, you owe, like, so many thousands of dollars, but if you just want to pay 570 dollars today with iTunes gift cards, what do you know? They won't arrest me. Like, I didn't even know the government was taking iTunes gift cards. That's incredible. Well, what they don't know, and you may not know, is I'm a police chaplain. So I get an email every morning that lists all of the current warrants for arrest, And I say, well, that's interesting because as a police chaplain, I checked the email this morning and my name wasn't on the warrant list. Hello? Hello? They hang up. It's like, wow, all of a sudden they're not interested in arresting me anymore. Maybe you've been scammed. You get a call from somebody who is pretending to be a loved one and they're in trouble and they need money. Uh, Maybe it's somebody saying, hey, your Amazon account has been hacked. It's a phishing scam, whatever. Just know that you are not alone because data shows that the FTC received 2.8 million fraud reports from consumers in 2021. So uh, deception is alive and well. But I want to take you back even further than that. We're going to go back to 1184 BC when the bloody, brutal Trojan War was taking place. For the past 10 years, the Greeks had been trying to conquer the city of Troy uh, with no victory whatsoever. So the Greeks changed tactics on the direction of Odysseus. They devised a plan that was all about deception. And that's going to be our word today, deception. The Greeks would build a giant wooden horse, and you've probably heard of this historical account before, which was the symbol of the city of Troy, and they left it at the gates of Troy. Then... The Greeks, tried, the Greeks pretended to sail away and leave Troy for good. The people of Troy believed that this was a peace offering uh, to their gods and a symbol of their victory, so they bring the wooden horse into the middle of the city, but what they didn't realize is that the Greeks, some of the Greek soldiers were hiding inside of the horse. And that night after the Trojans went to bed, the Greek soldiers snuck out of the horse, opened the gates, let the remainder of the Greek army in, and they... They went into the city, and the rest is history. The Greeks' deception led to a surprise attack in the middle of the night, and the Greeks finally conquered Troy. And that term, Trojan horse, is still used today, oftentimes describing cybersecurity. This is a cybersecurity company, CrowdStrike, says, a Trojan horse is a type of malware that disguises itself as a legitimate code or software once inside the network, they can damage files or steal data. So whether it was a Greeks sneaking a horse into Troy or a hacker breaking into a network, both exemplify a scary reality of deception. It seems to be good and it seems to be true until it's not. And deception isn't necessarily an outright lie. It's concealing or misrepresenting the truth. And you only find out that it's bad when it's too late, and then you're face-to-face with the consequences of it. Well, why, does this, why is this important about the armor of God? Well, if you haven't been here in a while, last week we kicked off a new series talking about the armor of God, which is found in Ephesians 6. And we said that we needed to put on the armor of God in order to battle against the evil one, who's known as Satan, right? We, we believe that, that, that Scripture tells that there is a literal enemy uh, in the spiritual realms known as the, known as Satan, Lucifer, the devil. You've heard different names for him. And in order to battle against the evil one, in order to battle against the enemy, in order to battle against Satan, we have to put on this armor of God. And one of the descriptions of Satan that we see throughout Scripture is this word, deceiver. Deceiver. And again, like the Greeks are like a hacker. What's scary about Satan is that he's so deceitful, he can make anything look good and look truthful until it isn't. And then you're left dealing with the consequences. Well, let's go even back further in history to the account of Adam and Eve. We know that, that God created Adam and Eve and put them in this perfect paradise. Okay, And he said, you can eat of any fruit, of any tree, in the garden, except for this one tree. So obviously what Satan do. He tricks Eve, and Eve believes Satan, it, you know, Eve, I'm sorry, Satan, Satan deceives Eve, and then Eve believes Satan, and then eats the fruit. And after, after the fact, God confronts Eve in Genesis 3.13. He says, then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. You see, she doesn't even take ownership over what she's done. She blames it on the serpent, even though the serpent had deceived her. You know, the serpent, Satan made this, made this fruit look good, looked appealing, looked satisfying, until it was too late, and she finds out it wasn't. And the consequence of Satan's deception continue to wreak havoc on us all today we're still the same. Because of Adam and Eve's sin against God, every single one of us has inherited that nature, that sin nature that causes us through our words and behaviors and attitudes and actions to rebel against God. And maybe you've done this, right? You, you, You were obedient to God until it didn't seem like God was rewarding you the way that you thought he should. And so then again, you turn to something else to make you feel better, right? You thought God was holding out on you. And so you turn to sin, you turn to something else to make you feel better because you have been deceived. And and I think about how Paul describes Satan in his letter to the church in Corinth. He says this, that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, which is also deception because Satan is often described as, you know, this red, Guy with hooves and horns and a pitchfork and a tail. And it's sort of cartoonish and it's a caricature of who he is. And I think that Satan loves that description because if we think about him that way, we're not gonna recognize him or take him seriously or his deception seriously. And what Satan does well, what he does too well, is that he tempts us by appealing to our desires and our dreams and our pleasures. He can make things look so good, so truthful, that they are actually you believe that they are from God himself. I've had people come up to me wanting to do something that I knew in my heart was not what God was calling them to do. And they, they're like, you know, hey, I think that, you know, God is calling me to do this or make this choice or be with this person or whatever it is. And like, you want me to argue against God? Like, what do you want me to do here, right? You just attached God to this because you want to justify doing something that you want to do. Now, I would never do that. Maybe once, I don't know, maybe a few times, maybe a hundred times. But right, sometimes we want something so bad, we'll figure out a way to even manipulate scripture to make it so that it seems like this is what God's will is for our life. So so God, or Satan uses things as bait, <clears throat> hoping he can trick us into making us think that it's the real deal. And once we take that bait, he hooks us. And he has us, and it's really hard to get away from that. Now, Satan, though, And deception isn't loud. It doesn't barge through the front door. It comes through the side door, hiding its true intentions. And so knowing this, Paul says that we need to put on some armor. And he talks about the first two pieces of armor saying, stand your ground. All right, stand your ground. Don't let Satan push you around. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor or the breastplate of God's righteousness. So let's start with this first piece of armor, putting on the belt of truth. So the first thing that you probably think of when putting on a belt is something like this, you know, a belt that is designed to hold your pants up. But this wasn't the picture that Paul had in mind. Instead, Paul is, talking, is asking us to imagine the type of belt that a Roman soldier would wear, which is the imagery that Paul is using to describe the armor of God. It would have looked something like this, more of a girdle than a traditional belt. Uh, theologian John Stott describes it this way. The belt was underneath everything. It held the soldier's tunic together and held his sword. It was hidden but it gave the soldier a sense of strength and confidence. When we're getting our clothes on, you typically put your belt on last, unless you're really weird and you put it on first, I don't know. A soldier, however, would put their belt on first and everything held together and because everything was held together by it. Paul says to stand firm against the enemy's deception and trickery, in order to do that, we need to put on the belt of truth first. Now, the belt of truth is what Paul is referring to, biblical orthodoxy. Uh, Dr. Nicholas Perrin explains the meaning in simple terms. He says, the word orthodoxy means straight thinking or true thinking. And biblical orthodoxy means straight thinking on the basis of the Bible. Now, all people, regardless of religious beliefs, whether you have religious beliefs, operate from some kind of orthodoxy that that acts as the foundational truth that transforms a person's values, uh, ethics, and beliefs. It's called their worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody operates out of some set of foundational beliefs that then affects their thoughts, their actions, their behaviors. You know, if you believe that there is no God, you will live a certain way about your life versus somebody who believes that there is a God is probably gonna live quite differently from somebody who believes there is no God. If you believe that God is just this far-off distant creator who put the universe into motion and then stepped away, you're gonna live one way. But if you believe that God is personal and acquainted with your life and loves you, you're gonna live a completely different way. So your orthodoxy, your worldview, your truth is going to determine how you live your life. And as a Christ follower, where do we get our truth? We get truth from a lot of places, right? You get truth from your friends, from your parents, from social media, from the news, but as a Christ follower, the Scriptures are to be our main source of truth. And it's not something that we just look at on Sundays or when we need a quick pick-me-up or inspiration. It's something that we must go to every single day so that by the Scriptures we see ourselves, God, and our world through the eyes of God himself. You know, this Bible, which was given to me as a gift about 15 years ago, I mean, and it's, it's pretty beat up because it's been with me all over all over the place been to mexico with me a bunch of times and it's beat up and the reason is because i use it a lot this to me is life these are the words of god this is truth is it the same for you because because the reason that paul lists the belt of truth first is because it's what holds everything together and if it's that important why don't we do it every day why is, it so str- why is it such a struggle to get into the Scriptures daily? Now, you might think of the, of the Bible as, some, as like a Sunday thing, right? You know, you go to church, maybe me or one of the other pastors teaches from the Bible, and that's where you get your truth from, right? But, but you see, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the desert, okay, so, so even the Son of God was not immune from the deception of, of Satan. You know, Jesus had been fasting, and he's hungry, and Satan says, Hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread and have a snack, right? You're not on keto, just do it. And, so, and, and Jesus says, Man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he compared God's words with bread. Now, here in America, we're never more than like 30 seconds away from some bread, right? I could go in the back and just get some bread, right? I've got bread everywhere. But, but bread was a staple. Of their diet, that's what they had, and so so Jesus was comparing the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible, to being as important as food. So if you're only exposing yourself to the Scriptures on Sunday morning, it'd be like it be like imagine if you only ate for an hour on Sunday. Maybe you went to, uh, you know, gold or Cracker Barrel, right? And you got the big you got the the, the grandma's breakfast, so It comes with pancakes and everything. You eat it all plus some extra biscuits. Uh, or let's say you go to golden corral for an hour and you just eat as much as you can all the fried chicken mac and cheese you hit the chocolate fountain twice you're just filling up right and you might be just stuffed right uncomfortably stuffed but i guarantee you that by the time monday afternoon rolls around maybe even monday morning you're going to be hungry again right and yet we treat god's word as though it's optional not as important as food we say, well, as long as I get, you know, some, some of God's truth on Sunday morning, you know, the pastor reads it. And, you know, I go to Bible study on, on Wednesday night, you know, I get some then. And you would not, if you only ate twice a week, do you think you'd be a healthy person? No. And yet we think that if we only get God's word once a week or twice a week, that we're going to be healthy in our spirits. It's just not true. We have to and and this is, this is not all your fault. This is not all my fault. You have to understand is that we have an adversary who is fighting to keep you out of this book. We have to remember, we have a, an adversary who's fighting against us every day. It's his goal, it's his mission to do whatever it takes to keep you out of God's truth. C.S. Lewis says it great in his book on spiritual warfare, The Screwtape Letters, which is writing from, the pers- writing from the perspective of a demon says this, It's funny how mortals, which is us, always picture us as putting things into their mind. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. The enemy's greatest weapon isn't lying to you. The enemy's greatest weapon is is to keep you from hearing the truth, right? Because let's say you wake up early in the morning to do your Bible reading. And you wake up and you're like, man, it's been a long week you no, know, I'm tired. I just, you know, an extra hour of sleep sure would feel good. And God would want me to rest, you know, and I'm going to read the Bible. You know what? I, gotta, I can take an hour lunch today. I'm going to read it then. Lunch break comes around. Guess what? Your boss gave you an extra task you didn't expect. Now you got to do that work through your lunch. You're like, okay, no problem. As soon as dinner is over, I'm sitting down. I'm reading the Bible. Dinner gets over. What do you know? One of your kids wants to play Scrabble. The next thing you know, you're playing Scrabble. You're like, fine, I'm just going to read it right before I go to bed. You sit down, you lay in bed, you open up your Bible, two verses, in, you're out happens right it's the tactics of the enemy will do anything including good things in order to keep you out of God's word but if we don't know where we're if we don't if we don't have a good foundation of truth it's going to affect the way that we think it's going to affect how how our minds work think about this when you experience pain God's truth is this that God is good and that I can trust him you may not understand what you're going through Okay, but you can know that, that God is good and he loves you and he's in control and he's with you. One truth leads us to believe that God is good and that, hey, life is hard, right? But Jesus calls us to walk with him anyway. The other truth believe, leads to you to believe that God is against you, right? That whatever you're going through must be because God isn't good or God isn't for you or God is punishing you because you aren't being Christian enough. That's not true, Romans 8.1 says that, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not punishing you. You're not on trial. You're not even in the courtroom. Jesus already paid that price. One truth leads us to believe that God is good and God is for us. The other truth leads us to believe that God is against us. With my finances, right? God's truth, that I am a steward of what I've been given. The alternate truth is this, I'm in control of what I've earned. One truth leads us to believe that God has gifted us with the abilities to earn money through our occupation. And as a result, everything that we have, even our abilities, belong to him. The other truth believes us that we have rightly earned everything through our own hard work. I have pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm an American, right? God has nothing to do with it. And as a result, everything that we have is ours. Everything we have is ours. And I'm gonna do everything I can to hoard it, to keep it, to protect it. Think about this in relationships. God's truth, I am here to serve people. The alternative truth, people are here to serve me. One truth leads to a mindset of selflessness, selfishness, selflessness, and unconditional love. The other leads to a mindset of selfishness and conditionality. The enemy will do whatever it takes to keep you busy or preoccupied or to deceive you into thinking that you can operate on your own apart from God's truth, and he will do what he has to make you ineffective. And now, I'm just going to say this. This is not a biblical principle. This is just, as, as one of your pastors, this is just my uh, challenge and advice to you. Uh, I think that there's something special about the morning, and here's why. Uh, you know, there's so many times in the Gospels where Jesus said that Jesus got up early and went to a solitary place to pray. Um, you know, I found that you know, I wouldn't put on my belt, I wouldn't like go around all day with no belt and then put it on right before I went to bed, right? That's just weird. I don't need a belt for my pajamas. And and it's almost like, well, I kind of want to know the truth of what God has to say about me before the day comes at me, then after the day has already happened, and then have to look retrospectively at the day and try to apply to God's truth to everything that has happened up to that point. And so maybe for you, you might say, well, you know, I'm not a morning person. Of course you're not. Nobody's a morning person, right? Until you start getting up in the morning, guess what? Now you're a morning person. You know, you might say, well, I just can't concentrate. You know, there's a million different great reasons for you to not get up in the morning and get into God's word, to have some chair time. My challenge to you is pay attention to that tension. Is that really true? Or is that Satan just doing everything he can to try to keep you out of God's word? He will do what he, can, what he has to to make you ineffective, ineffective, because Satan can't do anything about your salvation, but he's not letting you bring anyone else with you. So he's gonna discourage you. He's gonna cause division in the church. He's gonna distract you. He's gonna place your focus on yourself. He's gonna protect you. He's gonna cause you to protect yourself and your resources. He's gonna make other things other than the gospel more important in your life than the gospel, whether it's social issues or politics or money or whatever it is. He's going to destroy your marriage and erode your relationship with your kids. And he's going to paint a picture of freedom that doesn't involve God. And if you feel like the enemy's starting to win in your life, then it's time to do what Paul says and hold your ground. Stop letting him push you around. Stand firm. Resist his tactics. Because God has equipped you to do so. You know, I think a lot of times we feel helpless in this, but, but you're not helpless. You're not powerless. You are forgetful. We forget that that God says this in 1 John 4, 4. He says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I think think sometimes we forget the fact that, that if you are a follower of Jesus, it says that his spirit comes to live inside of you. The same spirit that literally rose Jesus from the dead can absolutely equip you to fight against Satan and his tactics. The Holy Spirit lives in you and his power and wisdom are available to you. Don't forget that. And it starts with putting on the belt of truth. And I would say, from my personal opinion, as one of your pastors, at the beginning of the day. And one of my favorite favorite passages that shows us how to do this is Paul's words to the Romans. He says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way that you think. Changing the way that you think. Humans are complex but not complex. Our brains are kind of like computers made out of fat. It's sort of like input-output, right? If you, have, if you have false input, you're going to have false output. If you have bad input, you're going to have bad output. If you have true input, you're going to have true output. The way the enemy is going to lead you down a road of destruction is by causing you to think things that aren't true. Because harmful actions always begin with harmful thoughts. Sinful actions always begin with sinful thoughts. Selfish actions always begin with selfish thoughts. Paul says that inward transformation begins with what you think about. And the more your thoughts are shaped by God's truth, the more you will think and become like Jesus. And when you become more like Jesus, guess what? You'll live your life for Jesus. And that's why Paul says this. Then... Once you, once you transform your mind by, by, by paying attention to God's word, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you've ever wondered what God's will is for your life, Paul's second piece of armor will help explain this to you. Paul, because a lot of times people are like, you know, when I, when, you know I was in student ministry for 10 years and working with students, a lot of times they they'd automatically equate Paul or God's purpose of their life with sort of vocational direction. They're like, well, I think God's purpose for my life is for me to go, you know, maybe into the military or go to this college or go into this field or whatever. You know, and maybe it's like, hey, you know, I feel like God is calling me to go to, go to, go to Bible college, go to seminary, maybe be a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, but I've seen the way you treat your friends, and I think God is more concerned with you loving your neighbor first, God is more concerned with you becoming like Jesus and less concerned about where you're going to work. Because whether you work in a restaurant or whether you work as a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, Jesus' purpose for you is to love him and love others. When 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 you become more like Jesus, when you think more like Jesus, you'll live more like Jesus. Then you will know what God's will is for you. And if you've ever... If you've ever wondered what this looked like, here's here's another thing that Paul says to help explain it to you. Paul instructs us to put on the body armor or the breastplate of God's righteousness. Something that looks like this. And maybe, you know, if you put this on, maybe it wouldn't look as defined. You know, Pastor Charles said his would be a little more round in the front. I don't know. (laughs) But John Stott tells us that he says that the body armor or breastplate covered the front and back of the soldier. It was a major piece of armor that protected the most vital organs. The body armor, or breastplate, protected Roman soldiers from arrows that were shot their way or other assaults that they experienced from the enemy. Paul likens this to an armor of righteousness, explaining that we have to put this on in order to protect ourselves from this deceit of the enemy. Paul gives a great example of this earlier in Ephesians. He says, "...put on your new new nature created to be like God." Truly righteous and holy. Well, righteous or righteousness is kind of a churchy word, but it really means living rightly, living like Jesus. God's will for your life, again, has less about who you marry and what job you take and more to do with becoming like Jesus and living like Jesus. And when we live rightly, when we live like Jesus, it acts like armor that protects our most vital organs, especially your heart, which means the opposite is true, right? For when we don't live righteously, then we have no protection. The enemy who studies film on you, who knows your weaknesses, who knows if there's something that he can attack, will go after it. That, you know, whether it's a lack of self-control, areas of pride, areas of laziness, lack of trust in God, unhealthy relationships, as Pastor J.D. Greer puts it, whatever is uncovered in your life, whatever isn't protected by armor, the enemy will use that to attack you. And so we must protect our lives through right living. But why? Why, right? That's always the big question that I want to address. Why is this important for us as followers of Jesus? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're on a different team now. You went from sinner to saint. And maybe you never thought of yourself as a saint, but, but biblically that's true, that you are saint, that you are holy, not because of your goodness, but because of what Jesus did on your behalf. You are forgiven. Therefore, you can't go back to enemy territory. You don't belong there anymore. You have a new mission to love Jesus and to love others. And, all, and, and that love others is important because another image of God's righteousness that Paul has to do, talks about has to do with others. It comes from the imagery of the divine soldier in Isaiah 59, 15 through 17. He says, the Lord looked and was displeased to find that there was no justice, he was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He put on the righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. God saw that no one was, was intervening on behalf of those who were oppressed, who were broken, who were helpless, and needed justice, so he himself did something about it. And the image here was also that body armor of righteousness. And so f- for us, our hearts must beat like God's for those who are oppressed, who are marginalized, who are helpless, who need help. To put on a breastplate of righteousness means that we will fight the enemy on their behalf. We will act as God would in the situation. Not just say we care, but show we care. Why, Why is this important? Because Christian church... We are called to be God's agents of healing and transforming grace into a broken world. That is what we are called to do. But there's a real enemy, and he's coming after you. But there's a real God, and he's here to protect you and ultimately to help you win that battle. May we put on that belt of truth and that body armor of righteousness. But how? How do we do that? Well, I think one of the first things to do is to remember. There's a reason that the Bible tells us to remember because you and I, you know, as humans, we are very forgetful, right? Because the message of the gospel is, don't, is, is not don't sin, right? The message of the gospel is that you have been forgiven from your sins, past, present, and future. And Jesus, who forgave you, calls you to walk with him to walk with God. The gospel isn't primarily about us sinning less, although it is, but it is about the reality that we have now have Jesus, that we have God. And so Romans 3.14 invites you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That means what? That means you live wisely. That means you live with discretion and that you err on the side of caution. And that maybe you need to make some changes no matter how radical they, be, they might be. Maybe that means giving up a show that you watch. Maybe it means deleting social media. Maybe it means me getting up an hour early. I don't know. Some of you know my story. Some of you don't. But like, you know, I was a severe alcoholic for a long time. And then God in a moment, a miraculous moment freed me from that. And the hardest part about that was I had to learn to live a new life. I had to find new friends. <laughs> I had to find new hobbies. I had to find new ways to, to spend my time. And I also knew that I couldn't do it alone, that I needed people in my life who could encourage me and hold me accountable. And so do you have people in your life who have not only the right but the obligation that when they see you going down the wrong path to call you out on it and you listen to what they have to say? How do you overcome and protect yourself from the enemy? I think remember. Remember the good news that you have been forgiven, that you are now called to love God and to love others, to be an agent of his healing and transforming grace into a broken world, and to make sure this is important to you as food, to keep your eyes on Jesus daily, daily. Let me pray for us. Father, I am so grateful that you have not left us here to fight the enemy alone. Father, that you have given us armor that you have given us a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness. And God, may we see your truth as important, as vital, as food. That It is not a once a week thing. It's not a twice a week thing. Jesus, you said that it is a daily thing. Jesus, you said that man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. May we make your word a priority and through that would we be transformed. God, thank you. Help us this week to live righteously and to live in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Hope you can make it tonight. If not, we'll see you next week.